Good morning, good morning. Welcome to another episode, a fresh, brand new episode of your favorite radio show, Down by Law, hosted by the one and only, uh, the magnificent, the outstanding, the million dollar mouthpiece, Daryl A. Gray. We have a very fresh and very poignant episode today, and our guest today is Miss Tanya B. Jones. Miss Jones is a certified mental health specialist, mental health professional counselor located here in New Orleans. Um, today's topic is mental health after the perfect storm, COVID plus Ida. We want to talk about some of the aspects of mental health as it relates to um, PTSD and post-hurricane um, issues and concerns and and problems. And we also want to kind of discuss that in light of what we've been dealing with for the last two years, and that's hurricane. I mean, that's COVID. So we want to jump into trying to make some sense of what some people are going through, and hopefully we can help some folks out there. Uh, Tanya B. Jones is our guest today. Ms. Jones, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am doing well. Thank you for having me on. Ms. Jones, we, you know, one of the things that we deal with as a culture is our um, our lack of understanding and I want to say maybe a little um, the lack of, of emphasis and, and placing importance on mental health. And it's a it can be a you know wide ranging kind of thing with some very strong residual effects on, on all aspects of life and you know even your physical health that people tend to overlook. So um, I think today's topic and the discussion that we're going to have can really help some people who are suffering through uh, what's been a very very trying last two years. And um, you know in addition to the stuff that we're still dealing with after Hurricane Ida with the property damage and you know some of those residual effects. So this is going to be I think this is going to be a wonderful conversation. I'm glad that you're here with us today. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well and you're so right. Um this is a very timely subject and it's something that um almost everyone deals with when you think about mental health. Mhm. So uh, Ms. Jones, let's do this first. I want you to kind of give everybody a little bit of your background and, and give them a, um, a rundown of who you are and, and you know, just talk about sure. your bio. Sure. Um, again, my name is Tanya Jones. I am a proud product of Orleans Parish Schools. Uh, I uh, graduated uh, from uh, McMain and, and then went on to Loyola, and uh, I studied there in accounting believe it or not, um, majored in accounting. And although things seemed like it was going pretty good, I was feeling like there was something that was missing. And uh, that turned out to be that I made I made a shift. I made a shift and, and left accounting because of a spiritual change that I had, um, just this need for purpose. I wasn't feeling um, joy and peace. And uh, I surrendered my life to the Lord, and that in turn caused me to shift my focus and um, and go into the field of social work. And so I made a radical decision 
to uh, leave my internship at Mobile Oil, my partial scholarship at Loyola, and I went on to SUNO, where I um, went into the field of social work. I graduated with my bachelor's degree in social work and then went on into the master's program and graduated there. And the bulk of my work um, is in children, youth, and families, um, direct services. So I worked um, in the Department of Children and Family Services and saw a lot there um, and then in the schools. So I left from the schools as a school social worker and started my own private practice, Cornerstone Counseling Services, here in New Orleans in 2013. And so it has always been, since that time, my heart's desire to um, meet the needs of hurting people. It is a passion of mine, and it really is what um, leads me to have compassion for people and for their needs. And so when you talk about mental health, and especially during this time that we're in, um, we know over the last year and a half, the pandemic, um, the social unrest, the political unrest, and then now couple that with Ida, and Ida just so happened to fall on the anniversary of Katrina yeah. that happened 16 years ago. I mean, who could have planned that? Um, it just brings up so much, and it underscores the need for this conversation. So thank you for recognizing the need and for having me here, and I'll try to do my best to help your um, listeners. You know, I always find it uh, it's, it's very refreshing, and um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very appreciative of when people take the route to um, follow their passion and follow their desire to be of service. You know, social work, I think, is one of the most underrated and underappreciated uh, professions that we that we have um, in our country because essentially what you're doing is making a sacrifice to dig into other people's problems and issues and try to help them solve those things. Um, and, you you know, you, you go through a lot of training, you go through a lot of education, you have to be licensed and things of that nature. And those are a lot of steps to take. And I think your path and your um, choice to do that in light of your ability to, you know, you were working at Mobile Oil, which is a huge um, multi-national um, mm -hmm. corporation, and instead of following the money and kind of taking an approach for you to secure your own success and your own future and financial uh, stability, you chose to go down a route of helping others and putting others first, and that's, that's to be commended. So I want to just make sure that, you know, our listeners understand um, the sacrifice that you made. And obviously, you know, the passion and, and the compassion is going to be there for for uh, the individuals in the community if you're kind of willing to make that kind of sacrifice on the front end of your career. So that's definitely to be uh, commended. Um, I want to I wanna get into some of the aspects of mm -hmm. social work that you deal with, your, 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 your kind of areas of specialty, being depression, anxiety, grief, and loss, and post-traumatic st uh, stress syndrome, a disorder, should I say, PTSD, which people kind of commonly know it as. Can you give us a little, like, a quick tutorial definitions on what PTSD is and how it affects us and how it comes about? Sure. Um, you know, when we talk about mental health, we're, you know, essentially talking about our um, 
you know, with regard to our ability to manage um, mental issues, psychological issues, social emotional issues, and it affects our well-being. And so um, when we talk about disorders, a lot of times we, we may throw, you know, PTSD around, but it is a it's a clinically diagnosed disorder, and there are certain criteria, just like you go to a doctor and the doctor has certain criteria for how they make certain diagnoses. The same thing holds true with post-traumatic stress disorder. So when they say I have PTSD, there's some, some, um, some specific criteria. But there's also stress-related disorders that um, may not necessarily fall under the guise of, quote-unquote, cri- the criteria. But a lot of um, what you would see in someone who is struggling with uh, post-traumatic stress is, um, well, first of all, they have to have experienced some traumatic event where they felt like they were at risk of harm, um, either them themselves or someone close to them or actually viewing that. Um, And what happens is um, for PTSD, the diagnosis has to, uh, happen after three months. If you start to experience these symptoms before that, it's a called something else. It's acute stress disorder, but that's pretty technical. So I'll just kind of go to some of the symptoms that people might see: um, flashbacks, uh, recurring memories. Some people have bad dreams. There'll be some physical signs of stress uh, that can affect us, um, our health. Um, one of the ones that I see often is avoidance symptoms. So one of the, the challenges with trauma is when someone has experienced a traumatic event, one of the, the symptoms is avoidance. And so we know that uh, people will try to avoid places and events that, um, that will remind them of the trauma. They will avoid feelings. They will avoid talking about it. And so it's tricky because in order to heal, you have to be willing to face some of those things. And so it really does take you being in a space where you're ready to do that. Um, that's part of the challenge with Ida because Ida was a reminder for some people who experienced loss from Katrina and have done a lot to avoid it. Now they find themselves being faced with it again. And, um, you know, we, we put a lot of emphasis, I'm kind of shifting a little bit because we're talking about these storms, but we put a lot of emphasis on the tangible losses, um, like the loss of the house. And, and even with Katrina, we had some um, much greater um, loss of life, um, which, again, are reminders for people. But I also want us to not forget about the intangible losses. These are the things that we kind of live with, and because, especially in our community, we're resilient people. We learn how to compensate. So the loss of our sense of safety, the loss of our sense of normalcy, that happened with COVID as well, fear of uh, the unknown and uncertainty of the future, you know, and taking us out of our comfort zones, those are all losses. Those are all things that... Um, we have to figure out how to navigate through. So someone may have been um, triggered by Hurricane Ida because now they have to figure it out again. Now what they had worked so hard to uh, create 
um, to allow themselves to feel safe again has been disrupted. And then if we really go deep and we talk about trauma, what I have found in my practice is that some of these things that are going on now, it's just the tip of the iceberg. It really does, um, it's indicative of something that is much deeper. When you talk about your sense of um, a loss of safety and security and your loss of control, for somebody who may have experienced trauma in their childhood, they, they are immediately reminded of, their, of them not being safe or feeling safe of them not being in control of their situation. And if that stuff had never been healed and it just had been, you've learned to manage it in order to function, it comes back up and you don't know what to do with it. You know, let's, uh, and I want to I wanna kind of unpack some of the things that you just talked about. The first thing I want to do is let's, let's put a definition on stress because, you know, one of the, one of the, the uh, terms or words in PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is stress. So let's kind of unpack that and, and kind of break it down so people understand. Like, because you know, folks folks may not even know they're going through stressful situations or their their daily lives or the you know the COVID and all of this stuff and some of the shortcomings and and issues that we have from that are that those situations are called causing stress. So let's kind of let's kind of talk about what that is specifically. Stress is simply pressure. It's attention. It's feeling overwhelmed. It's feeling a strain. And um, it comes out in behaviors and feelings. That's the short definition of stress. It's a pressure. And each person's stress levels are different, and the mm-hmm. things that trigger their stress levels are different. And so if they're feeling pressure, they may be feeling pressure from one thing, or someone else may be feeling pressure from something else, but it's attention. And it sometimes feels overwhelming and um, impossible to overcome alone. And you, you know, you said something else that was that's that's pretty poignant as well. As as a culture, we tend to be a lot more resilient. You know, mm-hmm. we we ad- we have adaptability mm-hmm. as it relates to the daily lives. You know, the daily stress uh, things that we deal with on a on a regular basis. So, you know. When you're living under stressful conditions, like every single day, you know, you wake up. I tell I tell people all the time that you can have PTSD just from being a black person, especially a black mm-hmm. male in America, because you know you walk out of your house and you automatically seen as some kind of uh, threat to a lot of people. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. so when you're dealing with those kind of situations, and you kind of you kind of uh, spoke to it earlier. That's like the tip of the iceberg, right? When you start to see you start to deal with situations like Ida. You start to deal with the, you know, the constant stress of COVID, like we had over the last couple of years. How do you, how do you get into a, um, um, a way or a uh, method of addressing those underlying issues that you may have that are that come up and are are, are made a little bit worse from these acute situations like the event triggered trauma. So if you have like if you have something like Ida that happens and then you know that triggers your you know you got to go travel I don't want to travel through Mississippi because I may get pulled over because I'm black you know that that kind of stuff so that's that's I think that's also something that's that you deal with from a uh, PTSD standpoint yeah well I'll say this um it's 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 tricky because behaviors are indicators and most people when they choose to um 
to reach out for help um, when they um, secure my services, most times they see something in themselves that they know they need to address. So we talk about being resilient and being able to kind of adapt. Some people are perfectly comfortable in that adaptability space mm. for as long as it takes them. And I can say that, you know, our older generations, it wasn't that they didn't ex experience stress or trauma. They just adapted because that's what happens. We, we, we create our normal. We create our safety. Um, and that's how they operated. But I think wow. now um, it is becoming more, we're destigmatizing mental health. Right. And the way that we operate now, people are beginning to step back and say, hmm, is this really, really healthy for me? Is this really healthy for my loved ones? Maybe I'm okay, but I recognize how I react to my family, how I react to my friends, how I react to my partner, and I'm not okay with that anymore. And so that is what causes them to want to do something different. So That's the pathway to that deeper understanding of where the, the, uh, the stress and the uh, mental strain is coming from, I guess. Yeah, it, it's absolutely. They recognize there's something that's causing me to act this way because behaviors are indicators, Daryl. Behaviors are indicators. When you see a behavior, then you can trace it back to something that you're feeling and something that you're telling yourself. And so when people... What are some of those behaviors to look for? Like if, you know, if, if you're, if you're, um, if you're uh, you know, you're a woman and you're married to a guy um, or vice versa, what, what, what can you look for to, to kind of, to kind of earmark and, and see that there is some kind of stress-induced um, mental health issue going on there. Yeah. So, you know, going back to um, P PTSD symptoms, if someone is, you know, irritable, uh, they uh, on edge, and that their behavior may not necessarily fit the situation, um, you may find people who have, and this may be something you can see personally, difficulty concentrating. You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. of difficulty concentrating now because there's so much, like we said, stress, pressure, and tension, and strain, so much to do. So sleep disturbances is an indicator. If you're not sleeping, you're having trouble getting to sleep, staying to sleep, or even staying asleep, or if you're sleeping too much, changes in your eating habits, if you're overeating, or if you're not eating. Um, sometimes, and this is true for a lot of our adolescents, engaging in risky and reckless and destructive behaviors. So when you are feeling um, sad, depressed, a lot of um, our young people may be experiencing depression as a result of things, and it may present itself in the behavior of um, reckless behavior, um, disrespectful behavior, and of course, we're taught to kind of address the behaviors, but we don't always see what is the cause of that behavior. If you're not feeling like you really care about your life at all, then it's maybe a, a whole lot easier to to engage in reckless behavior. Right, you hear younger folks all the time saying they don't think they're going to live to be a certain age, so you know, they kind of their behavior uh, mirrors that that mindset. You know, that, I guess, you know, you start talking about substance abuse as well. That's probably uh, one of the biggest 
uh, coping mechanisms we see in our community when it comes to dealing with stress and PTSD. Absolutely. You're so right about that because it helps numb the pain. It helps us take the edge off. Um, some of, um, you know, we're looking at the rise in marijuana use um, and alcohol is kind of a depressant, so if we anxious, kind of makes us chill, laid back. But if we are using that as our coping, then the problem still exists once you uh, come off of that high, if you will. The problem still exists. So um, making the choice to dig deeper to address those issues is really where the, the, uh, the true healing is. So tell me, Liz, I want to know, like, what kind of resources, again, you know, for, for our culture and our community, um, when you, you're low income you're, and you're dealing with mental stress and mental health and, uh, you know, traditionally we don't we don't see the value or think that it's, it's a little taboo to seek uh, mental health uh, services or help. What are some of the resources out there for us that if people actually want to, you know, as the stigma is being removed, if people actually want to get out and try to get some some health, uh, some mental health um, assistance or, or treatment? Mm -hmm. Yes. So, you know, um, someone can always start with their doctor. And I don't, you know, sometimes we uh, in our community we have com um, relationships with our doctors and sometimes not. Uh, I, I, I thought about this actually during uh, COVID when we saw a disproportionate amount of our um, African-American community um, being affected by COVID. And there's a lot of talk about um, the uh, disparities in health care. And what we recognize is there's a lot of distrust and all that's centered around feeling like you can, can trust a health provider. But some do have relationships with their doctors. That is one of the first and best places to start because you have a relationship with them. Um, some people in their communities have relationships with their churches, with their social uh, clubs, um, with, with people. And I say you start with those connections. There are mental health services available, um, and they're available across the board. Um, for low income, there are low to no cost services. Um, in the way of our um, state-run uh, medical providers. For those who have insurance or are able to pay private pay, there are um, private practitioners such as myself and a wealth of others. There are organizations that have um, holistic services where they can um, deal with family, individual, um, several things. There's a website that I, I like to um, refer people to because it allows them to do their homework and find the best fit for them. Um, and it's called Psychology Today. So it's simply psychologytoday.com. And on that site, there is something called Find a Therapist. And I like it because you can filter. You can filter it based on your needs. If you wanted someone who... Um, serves a black uh, population or someone who serves a male or a female or um, um, someone who is who uh, understands the needs of the LGBT community, someone who may want Christian counseling, 
someone who has Humana insurance, Blue Cross insurance, someone who wants to deal with trauma. So you can literally filter it out. And then... Yeah, and that's that's very important because it gives you opportunity. Because I guess one of the biggest things about... Uh, mental health is you have to be uh, you have to be willing to communicate and open up to your uh, mental health service provider. And if you're not willing to talk to that person, then you're not gonna you're not gonna get the full effects of the treatment. But in order to do that, you have to be you have to be comfortable, you know, uh, and having the ability to kind of find somebody that you feel like is going to allow you to uh, open up and be yourself is 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 critical. I think in that in that instance. I think you said so much, Daryl. That is so important. Um, it's critical. The, um, the the most important indicator of the effectiveness is really building the therapeutic rapport, and you have to mm-hmm. feel safe. You know, when people come to you and they're coming to you with the intimate details of their lives, they're feeling like they're struggling through things. I mean, and these these it can be people who are doing so well in other areas of their lives. But when they get behind those doors, they need to feel like there's a safe, there's a safe place for them. No judgment. Right. That that their their issues are not to be judged. They are coming there for help. And so, if they don't feel that, then they're not going to feel like they can open up, and they're not going to feel like they have um, can be helped. And so, not only having compassion and passion uh, for what what I do, and compassion for the people that I serve, but you have to have competence. Because once they do that, then what can you offer me? And, and so I, I think you're, you're right. And that's why I like psychology today as a tool because all of these therapists will pop up. You see their faces. You can click on. Some of them have websites. And you get to, to know a little bit about them. And everyone mm-hmm. get, gets to choose. They have a right to choose who their provider is so that they can feel comfortable and that they can guarantee that, um, you know, their treatment outcomes are, are effective. So now, now that you you know, we kind of talked about the definitions of PTSD, some of the uh, sub definitions like stress and um, anxiety and things of that nature. You've talked about how to you know selectively choose the reasons you need to go to you know to seek some kind of mental health treatment. How to selectively choose um, a potential um, treatment provider or medical health provider. Now, listen, I want to talk about the the actual medical treatment itself, like what are the options, what can people expect to experience if they're, if they're going through some kind of counseling or mental health um, treatment? Right. And so um, the options are different treatment modalities based on the person's need. Um, I personally, um, I utilize more than any other uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and when someone hears cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, it basically is changing your thoughts um, in order to change the outcomes or your behavior. Mm. And so um, when they come to um, me, they could typically expect to begin to understand themselves, understand how they think, how they feel, and how that is connected to their behavior. And then begin to systematically um, challenge or change those unhelpful thoughts. And a lot of times it's rooted in, in, in trauma, but, you know, someone can have depression or anxiety for other reasons, um, just adjustment issues or something else that's coming up or going on with them. So really, um, 
just a process of um, changing the thoughts um, in order to feel better and then behave um, better, if you will. Um, yeah, and that's very that's very empowering too because you get to understand, you kind of get an idea like there's I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. mental health issues, whether it be trauma induced or just you know you're just genetically the um, pre pre um, supposed to uh, to stress and and anxiety. You know, it's it's okay to be that way. <laughs> it's okay. You just got to mm-hmm. find a way of coping, right? find a way of dealing with it. So having somebody to talk to and, and kind of assure you that, hey, that's okay, you know, um, yeah. a lot of people deal with this situation. Um, here's what we can do to try to address it. Um, yeah. That's And that's, like I said, that's very empowering. That's a, that's a, that's a poignant uh, point in a lot of people's lives when they're able to take that, that brave step of getting treatment and talking to somebody uh, about, you know, just what's, what's going on in their head. Because if you think about it, uh, who wants people to know what's going on in their head? You know what I mean? Like that's the, some of your most, you know, your, your private thoughts and your private moments, and they affect you because you're dealing with, we as human beings, we have relationships with other people. That's how life goes. Like whether that be the person that that's at the counter at McDonald's or your mother or your wife, you know, you're going to have, there's a relationship there. And that interaction always affects us regardless of what the situation may be. It could be small, it could be, it could be large. But to identify how you respond to those situations and to identify that that's not, you know, that's not uncommon. That's something that can be dealt with if you know that there are options out there for you. So I, 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 I really think that... Therapy is something that a lot of people should probably experience um, to, you know, help them get past some some underlying issues. Absolutely, and like, and we talked again about the resiliency and, and the adaptability of our community. It's so important to to be effectively assessed. So, you know, the first thing, and and you know, I deal with anxiety, depression, and most clinicians will deal with people who may be experiencing these symptoms on a daily basis. But the reasons behind why people may be experiencing these symptoms are very unique to that person. And so it's really important to have, um, to, to have an effective assessment. I use the example, um, if someone has a headache, that's a symptom. But that headache could be a hunger headache or a brain tumor. And the way that you treat it is totally different. One, you just need to eat something. The other one requires um, serious surgery. Right. And so you might have a symptom, but unless we understand, and that's what I love about the field of social work because it, 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 it employs an ecological approach. So it's not just about making a diagnosis. It's really looking at the person in their environment, and it's looking at all of the other factors that affect that person and really taking all of those things into consideration and making that treatment plan unique for that person. So, if there's someone how do you how do you how do you feel about um, prescription meds in those situations when people mm-hmm. are dealing with um, with I mean, prescription meds versus alternative me- uh, methods of treatment? You know, I think that a lot of times, like in my profession as a as a personal injury attorney, you know, I rarely see somebody go to a surgeon and their surgeon I say, "Oh, I want to do surgery," whereas you know, there may be some alternatives to the surgical route, 
but mm-hmm. a lot of doctors they kind of spend they if if they do something every day and they were trained to do something every day they don't really identify alternative methods outside of what they were essentially trained to do when there could be something else you know some more conservative steps before you actually get to you know prescribing somebody anxiety pills or something like that how do you how do you feel about about that that kind of situation you know med, um, prescriptions versus alternative methods and what are some alternative methods that people can try right I think that um, you know for me I look at each um, each person individually and I allow them to make their decisions based on what is comfortable for them so I am I, I never um, promote medication I'm not a medical doctor so I stay in my lane with that right. but I do recognize that there are um, Sometimes a need for medication to help with the short-term functioning, um, and they and what I would do in those situations is recommend that they speak with a medical doctor and get informed about what that looks like. What are the side effects? What are the benefits? How long will it take before it begins to you begin to see um, its effects? And then they get to choose, and whatever they choose. Is, is is right for them. But I would say to you that you're right, that it's not all, um, they don't always know all of the other options. And there are other options. And even in the therapeutic setting uh, in which I work, um, I don't just do CBT, we, we work with behavioral modification, um, other techniques uh, that people can use for coping. And there are natural health regimens to help people. Um, for example, there are uh, natural uh, supplements for sleep um, as opposed to having prescribed sleeping medications. But mm-hmm. it's all in what that person wants. If they want medication, it's almost like this uh, the COVID vaccine uh, conversations that we've been having. Right. People have a right to choose based on what they feel is best for them. And, you know, you, you want a therapist or any kind of provider who is willing to give you all of the information and allow you non-judgmentally to make the decisions that are best for you. I can't tell you how um, there have been times where people just, they may see the information and they will say, I can't go there right now. I just don't have the capacity to deal with that. And that is their right, no judgment. Right. Everybody, Everybody's different. You know, everybody has a, it like you know, it, it somebody may just start to heal by that their first session, just having somebody to talk to about their issues. Like you said, in a judgment-free zone, some people take some people may take you know years to open up to their therapist to you know talk about some of the the traumatic issues. I get to those underlying things. Um, you know, I I always whatever the situation may be, I think it's always, and this is my personal opinion. I think it's always good to try to investigate uh, alternative methods of dealing with what your issue is, but you first have to have to know and identify your issue. Once you once you have that that control of what you're actually dealing with, then you can kind of tailor what uh, what you need to do to, to address the issue. Like you know, like I said, just just simply talking to people sometimes helps. You know, meditation is always great. That's one of the things that I feel like. You know, when I start my mornings, I meditate. You know, that, that allows me to center myself and and get um, get a clear kind of understanding of what I want to accomplish for the day, 
what I'm appreciative of, you know, what some of the things that if some, if I wake up with something on my mind and it's bothering me, then that means that I need to try to figure out how to fix that situation so it doesn't bother me anymore going forward. Um, and, you know, that, that may take some time. I may not be able to get to it, but at least I try to put myself in a position where I could remove that stressor from my life. Um, you know, hobbies, I think a lot of times, too, if you get into a hobby, like I like to mess with my, I, I like old cars. I like to mess with my car and use my hands. That's kind of like mindless activity that takes your mind away from the stuff that you're dealing with on a daily basis. You know, that that kind of thing, I, I believe, in my opinion, Mm-hmm. tends to allow people to escape their issues in their everyday life to kind of get uh, a, a, get an opportunity to kind of hit the reset button. So okay. I think there's a lot of things that we could do outside of, you know, taking, right. taking meds and things of that nature. Exercise is one. It's proven to reduce mm-hmm. uh, depression. I mean, it's been researched and proven. And there's some people who are altruistic. So they get pleasure and can feel better by giving back and doing for other right. people. So there are so many areas um, that people can um, can utilize or tap into in order to help them. And it doesn't have to look like just what um, the medication or um, uh, some other thing that maybe they're not comfortable with. So, Tanya, let me, let's, let's, add, let's add kind of unpack this as well. When it comes to dealing with uh, mental health for adults and kids, um, do you feel like kids can tend, can tend to be a little bit more resilient than adults? Do you think they get past things uh, a, little, a little sooner, I would say? Uh, what do you feel like some of the major differences are between uh, adults and kids when, when you, as it relates to mental health? Yeah, so, you know, um, kids, they... they the way that um, mental health issues uh, manifest themselves with kids can look so different. Um, and their ability to bounce back, I do believe, just personally, that uh, children have that ability. They, I think, have um, less uh, experience and baggage, if you will. Um, and I think part of and, – and, as a child, you learn how to adapt, and then you take that into adulthood. Many of our successful adults are successful because they figured out how to, to just kind of get over things and put mm. those things in somewhere, you know, wrap it up real good and stick it in the back of some area of their brain and keep it moving. Um, right. And so I do think that children have uh, the ability to kind of bounce back uh, a little bit, but it does depend on some other things, you know, their um, level of support, what type of home environment uh, that they are, um, that they're in. I think those things begin to become um, factors for adults and how in their adulthood, when they begin to deal with all of these things, how well they're able to to get through those, you know, those resilience factors, having supportive friends and families, um, you know, how they've learned to deal with traumatic events in the past because it can do one of two things. If you're dealing with multiple traumatic events, that could either help you to know that you can manage it, you can handle it, you can get through it, or it's one too many. 
and it's caused um, cause a breakdown. But um, having coping strategies, uh, most kids, yeah, that's just we 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 we've gotten to the point you you just mentioned. I think kids are a little more resilient. I really do. Um, and those resilient kids grow up to be resilient adults. However, um, something could affect that, and the adults begin to realize, I need to address this. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's similar to when you see, uh, see people who have, like, uh, uh, obvious physical disabilities, like they don't have their arms or, you know, they don't have legs or something like that. Like you see those people living a normal life. They like they adjust to driving cars and taking care of themselves and living alone. I mean, people who are kind of born that way. So you you learn to adapt to your environment and learn to manipulate your environment to your to your benefit, despite your shortcomings. So on the outside looking in, you know, we may look at it like, oh my God, this guy doesn't have any arms. How, how does he function? You know, that's so that's so unfortunate. But they don't perceive their disability as a barrier to them living a normal life and that that's just you know uh uh that's indicative of being able to adapt and overcome the human the human spirit's ability to adapt and overcome situations and i think you know with kids a lot of times they go through like you said they go through so many traumatic they can go through so many traumatic situations but they don't know that that's not normal so so they adapt and they learn to still be a kid because as a kid you still it's certain things you want to do you want to play you want to you know you want to have a good time you want to smile you find a way of making that stuff happen through all of the you know mental stress and strain that you may be under and you know that's that's a that's an that's an amazing thing an amazing aspect of human uh the human body and the human experience but you know again it's still always unfortunate when that stuff starts to manifest itself later on in life, and you got to try to figure out how to how to deal with that trauma and really heal yourself, and, and instead of putting like somewhat of a band aid on it, um, that's that's a that's a that's a very interesting thing for people to deal with, and that's kind of you know that's kind of one of the things we need to understand and figure out as a community that you know it's okay to address past traumas regardless of how you've learned to cope with them and. And deal with them because you know, at that point, if you do address it, you do figure out a way. You open you open yourself up to a new day. It's kind of like a you know, there's other options in a brighter future to uh, to see down the road when you're able to figure out what you know what some of your shortcomings are. I think you said a mouthful, and I don't even know if you realized it because I think one of the things that has been a barrier for people seeking out the help is exactly what you said. All this time, for many years, I've been able to manage this. I've always been able to handle this. I've always been been able to do it. What's wrong now? What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this now? And then seeking Mm -hmm. out help or um, dealing with stress or pressure um, then begins to feel like weakness. Like, I'm weak because I can't do this anymore. And I would say all the time that um, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Recognizing the need for it is actually a sign of strength. It's the opposite, yeah, sign of strength. Yeah, it's, it's, there's no shame in recognizing the need to step outside of yourself 
because what you have been able to do maybe doesn't work anymore. And if you look at that in any other area, most people are okay with it. Even in our, our medical health, you know, we may have been able to handle that headache with the, um, you know, the Tylenol, the ibuprofen, and now it's just gotten to be too much. We don't call ourselves weak when we go to the doctor to, to, to figure out what's going on and try to figure out what else to do. But in mental health, that, that stigma does exist because we've been taught handle, handle, handle it yourself. You should be stronger. It's not, a, it's not about strength and weakness. It's really about gathering more tools, getting support that you need. It's actually a sign of strength. Right, right. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Down by Law. This is a brand new, fresh episode. We're talking to Tanya Jones. She is a licensed social worker. Um, the show's title today, which is very poignant, is um, Mental Health After the Perfect Storm, COVID and Ida, COVID plus Ida. So, uh Tell you, I want to kind of let's 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 do that. Let's dig into some of the hurricane Ida, hurricane in general, PTSD things, or stressors, or anxiety inducing um, uh, situations that we find with the hurricanes and the storm. And then let's talk about how how we how that's coupled with the overwhelming stress of COVID. Like COVID has been with us for going on two years. Um, it's a barrage. Like we keep going back and forth. We don't know what's going on. Um, you know, we we just had a we were open for a moment here in New Orleans. Then we had a about a month ago, I guess, right before the storm, we had a little step back where, you know, you had you had you couldn't go into a restaurant without showing your vaccine card and things of that nature. So that has been a constant over the last two years. And then you um, add the added weight and the added stress of a hurricane that that was pretty significant. And like you said earlier in the conversation. Um, you know, to the day um, on the anniversary of Katrina, you know, which is I think a lot of people don't realize that since Katrina and like you talked about earlier, Katrina Katrina brought us so much death, so much, you know, uh, just tragic, tragic situations, people being displaced. Some people never returned to New Orleans since Katrina. So Katrina was a huge milestone and huge um a life event for so many people in the region. Um, and, you know, as storm seasons come every single year, you always, I think you always think about Katrina. You know, it's always in the back of everybody's mind, even though, you know, you may not have that severe, severe PTSD um, situation that, that, that that's kind of like lingering since Katrina. Some people do. I think they say one in six people still suffer from uh, PTSD from Katrina, you know, depending on where they were, if they were in a Superdome, if they were stuck on the house and, you know, they couldn't get out of the city for however long that, that situation was. You know, I can see you having so many uh, PTSD issues. But in general, I think that because Katrina was so traumatic, you know, every storm season you're going to have some kind of, you know, you know you're going to clutch your pearls a little bit as you deal with the anxiety of a, impeding hurricane so you know with that coupled with with COVID I think it can be you know just maybe overwhelming for a lot of people and untenable as a, as something to deal with so let's talk about that let's talk about you know what you've seen and 
and how we can how we can do a little bit um, to kind of cope with those situations. Yeah, you know, like we we've been talking, we've been using this word throughout the um, the program, resilience. You know, and that that resilience can can be um, like a two edged sword in some ways because you know the resilience helps us to kind of keep it moving and not allow ourselves to um, feel stuck. But um, I think it's important for people to give themselves permission to grieve their losses, um, give themselves permission to not be okay. Um, it, uh, you know, there's a lot of loss. And I talked earlier about the tangible losses um, with COVID. People lost loved ones. I mean, we had a lot of people in our community yeah. to pass away. And I, I, I would love to do a poll to find out who did not know somebody that, you know, that died um, as a result of, of COVID. So we had real losses of life, but we also had loss of jobs and loss of security and safety, all of those intangibles as well. And so one of the things that I like to do is help people to normalize those things. Um, we don't like to normalize, you know, loss and traumatic events, but to understand that their reactions to these events are normal. And you, right. if you were to ask yourself, how would you expect anybody else in this situation to react? If you lost your loved one, if you lost your job, if you were then um, affected by um, losses from the hurricane, if you had, just name it, how would you expect them to react? And many people will give other people grace and have a better understanding of other people's pain and their reactions than they would themselves because of that right. resilience. And so that's the first thing I would say. Give yourself permission to grieve the losses and to say that it's okay to not be okay in this situation. That's what any normal person would do. This doesn't make you crazy. It doesn't make anything wrong with you. It just makes you a normal person who has experienced traumatic events. Mm. And you know, you know something else, Tanya. I think that people have to, they have to tell themselves and and get get them get the try to get to a point of understanding that it's certain things that are out of your control. Like you can't control COVID. You could you can't control Hurricane Ida. Now your reaction to that situation, to those traumatic events in your life, that's 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 what's gonna that's what's gonna carry the day. That's what that's that's what's gonna tell the story. Like you just spoke about, you know, if you're able to uh, try to get back to living as normally as possible, not stress yourself out about, you know, if the if the adjusters come into your house or not, if you know, if if you got if you know they don't have what you, they don't have your your favorite red beans camellias at the grocery store. Some things are just outside of your control, and you have to learn how to make temporary sacrifices for your mental health. Like you know, if you if if you get too caught up in the grief and the uh, loss that you're sustaining or that you sustained, and you're not focusing on what you still have remaining. Then that always tends to put you in a, a more stressful situation than the opposite. And I think people need to really start to 
manage their stress by doing what they can and focusing on what they can control and letting the other stuff kind of just take its course and, 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 and let that be a watershed moment for you moving past traumatic situations. So true. Um, absolutely right there. A prayer called the serenity prayer says, Lord, help me to accept the things I cannot change. Uh, give me the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think it first starts with an amen. acknowledgement that, you know, you know, yes, yeah, amen. An acknowledgement that things aren't just right with me or with what's going on in our community right now. So once you acknowledge that, and you're not avoiding it or pretending like it's not it doesn't exist because we do ourselves a great disservice when we pretend like it's not um, what it is, um, and we just avoid it. But if we acknowledge, okay, things aren't going right with me. Something's up with me. Something is going. Things are going on in our community. Then we can begin to put ourselves in the position of power and control of what we can control. Um, right. You know, there's some tips that um, that uh, our, um, like uh, the Federal Mental Health Agency, is called Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA. Um, they had some tips for uh, traumatic events and disasters, and, and they said one of the ways that you can um, take care of yourself and your loved ones is to limit your consumption of the news. I think, um, you know, you can't, we can't control what they put on the news, but we can say, you know what, this is a trigger for me, and I, I can't um, continue to, to listen to all of this negative. Over and um, over again. <laughs> over and over again. I remember right. Katrina, you know, CNN, I mean, they, were, they had stuff on replay. You would swear that was 20 hours worth of footage, but it was a few minutes of footage that they just had on replay, just you know. It's a frenzy for them at that point. You know, they just want to, mm-hmm. you know, it's a news cycle. That's how, you know, trauma and, and traumatic events is how they get viewership and, you know, to the to the detriment of the people who are actually experiencing that situation. Tanya, I, you know, I told you this show was going to be quick. We, we've, we've gotten to the end. <laughs> it's time for us to close it out. You know, again, I really, really appreciate you um, coming on and speaking to us about mental health and, you know, your voice is so calm, and I would love to come and sit down and talk to you myself. If you could, give everybody your contact information so they can reach out to you if they're looking for um, somebody to talk to. Sure. So I, um, my agency is Cornerstone Counseling Services. I'm located at 6221 South Claiborne Avenue in the University Village shopping area. I'm currently doing telehealth um, exclusively right now, and I can be reached at 504 571 5871 504-571-5871 Tanya Jones Cornerstone Counseling it's been a pleasure thank you for having me thank you so much you guys have heard another episode of Down by Law we'll see you next week we appreciate you thanks Down by Law Down by Law